Inside Florida Politics, powered by Gannett. Governor Ron DeSantis takes aim at a Miami restaurant over its drag shows. Florida's property insurance market teeters on the brink of collapse. And Trump and DeSantis delivered dueling Florida speeches as they battled for the heart of the GOP. Hello, I'm Sarasota Herald Tribune political editor Zach Anderson. And those are some of the stories I'll be discussing this week with Gannett State Capitol reporter John Kennedy and Palm Beach Post politics editor Antonio Finns. But first... Gentlemen, uh, we've been off for a few weeks, so I'm sure there's a lot of numbers uh, floating around out there for you. What do you have for us today, Antonio? Well, I'm going to go, man, with a very precise 235,261. All right. How about you, John? Zach, I can't match that. But I didn't bring a number this week, and it's a very appropriate one as we dig deep into baseball season. It's a nine. All right. And I am going way low with a decimal point here, 0.9. Remember those numbers, folks. Uh, We'll let you know what they mean in Florida politics at the end of the show. Well, Governor Ron DeSantis is trying to revoke the liquor license of a Miami restaurant and bar that hosted sexually explicit drag shows that were attended by children. Antonio, uh, these drag shows have really become a major talking point among conservatives lately. Well, it certainly seems that way. Look, in this case, the DeSantis administration filed a state complaint against Miami's Our House, uh, claiming that this uh, Wynwood bar that their weekend drag show brunches exposed minors to quote-unquote sexually explicit drag shows. Um, in fact, uh, quoting from the complaint, you know, the nature of the performances described above, particularly when conducted in the presence of young children, corrupts the public morals and outrages a sense of public decency. Well, there, there you go. Uh, you can't get more, uh, more outrage than that. Now, our house actually responded with a very curious filing that it said, We're hopeful that Governor DeSantis, a vociferous supporter and champion of Florida's hospitality industry and small businesses, will see this as what it was or is a misunderstanding and that the matter will be resolved positively and promptly. So that this is going to be really a a misunderstanding, a misunderstanding. There's there's pictures of this. I don't know what there is to misunderstand. It's it's pretty interesting. Don't (laughs) believe your lying eyes, Zach Anderson. But. Yeah, I don't look. With this, this is going to be really interesting to see how this plays out. But, but you're right. This is not just a one-off. And in fact, this latest complaint followed another outburst to a drag queen exhibition last month. In that case, Republican state leaders called for a ban on drag shows for kids after the Pride on the Block Youth Festival in West Palm Beach. The June 5th event was an annual is an annual celebration and fundraiser for a group called Transpire Help which is a nonprofit that aims to serve the LGBTQ plus community in Palm Beach County. The event, which is like a street party in downtown West Palm Beach, was first held in 2020. And it includes it includes, you know, a drag queen includes drag queen performances, but also a crafts exhibit, a drag story time for kids, musical performances and cooking classes. Nonetheless, it triggered Republicans, flamethrower state representative Anthony Sabatini, who's running for Congress these days said the event is an example of quote-unquote sick parents forcing children to watch drag queens perform. And all of that, of course, follows the parental rights and education law, which opponents call the don't say gay legislation. So it's not just a talking point, it's a trigger. And it really seems to offend the sensibilities of the right. Yeah, these these drag shows, I mean, they've become uh, a big issue in the GOP and it's from the top uh, on down. You know, Trump was in uh, Tampa uh, over the weekend, uh, Antonio, and, and he touched on the drag show issue. He said in his speech, quote, 
The current education system is so sick that school prayer is banned, but drag shows are allowed. I mean, these drag shows, as as you pointed out, Antonio, I mean, um, they're all over. They've been going on for a long time. I mean, um, you know, they've they had become sort of mainstream in a way. I mean, people go out uh, in Sarasota. They had a a drag show bingo. People would go play bingo and there was a performers in drag who would kind of crack jokes and things like that. What do you you think um, has changed where these have become so controversial in the, in the, within the GOP in the last uh, few months? Well, you just said it right now that they have become mainstreamed. They become accepted in overall society, at least, you know, by community standards from urban areas, maybe not so much in the more, the, 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 the more religious, you know, interior of the state or even, you know, where, where you at. But at these in, in South Florida, they have become somewhat mainstream. And I think that's what the issue here, because in general, within the last 10 to 15 years, the whole LGBTQ plus array community has also become a lot more mainstream, including, you know, the acceptance of gay marriage. And I believe that is what a lot of the the, the the counter pushback on the right is about that they have a problem with the LGBTQ community and they basically, um, you know, that th- this is what they're reacting against. We're seeing this across the way. We even with the whole question of, uh, you know, transgender athletes, um, you know, that was another you know, right. touch point. So and there's different, I, I think- there's different types of drag shows, too. I mean, th- this one um, that uh, the Florida Department of Business and Professional Regulation is, um, you know, uh, doing this complaint against. I mean, this one seems pretty, you know, sexually explicit. If you look at the pictures, um, you know, there's there's, you know, the performers are are practically naked here. Uh, So, I mean, there's there's different um, uh, ways that these are are put on, Um, I, I guess. Though the idea that uh, and and obviously having children at them uh, seems to have upset a lot of people. But I wonder, what do you think about the idea of going after the restaurant or the bar versus actually going after the pa- parents? I mean, I guess people would wonder, um, it, it's the parents that are bringing them to these shows. Why aren't you going after the parents if you think that this is um, inappropriate? I guess, is it politically more palatable to go after the venue? Well, you know, that's a great question. I, I think the reason they're going after the venue is because if, for example, somehow they were they were to lose their liquor license, that might be the end of this venue. So that's, that is a way to really have a chilling effect on this across the board that these businesses are going to realize that, you know, they can be put out of, they can go out of business. Now, the question, if you, an interesting question, you point, you just raised, why might not go after the parents? That's kind of interesting because here in the free state of Florida, Parents are supposed to be the ones choosing. It's the parents supposed to choose whether your kid would wear a mask in schools during COVID flare-ups. It's up to your parents, you know, the parents, uh, the parental rights and education law. Right. I mean, that's been a huge talking point for DeSantis. So, yeah. So that's kind of the interesting thing is that, you know, why why is the attack here on the establishment and not the parents? And perhaps it's because, uh, you know, it might be a little bit of a contradiction in if you start going after parents telling you, well, you, you can, parents, you can, it's up to you to choose as long as you choose the way that we want it to be. And that, that could be the message that comes across there. And perhaps that's why, you know, they, they're not making that argument. Plus I, I think that if, if this, if this 
you know, if our house were to lose their liquor license, man, that the chilling effect would be a lot, a lot, you know, broader. Sure. Simply, you know, a, a parent getting a slap in the wrist. And, you know, one one thing that's interesting, some Democrats have been pushing back against this and saying that it is targeting the LGBTQ uh, plus community. Uh, Democrat Anna Eskamani, um, who's a pro- progressive uh, lawmaker from the Orlando area, she was pointing out that, you know, you're going after these drag shows, but you're not going after a restaurant like Hooters that also <laughs> allows people uh, to parade around in uh, skimpy outfits that, you know, some might say is inappropriate for children. Um, so, I mean, there was uh, there's sort of uh, allegations here of, of a double standard uh, 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 and also targeting the LGBTQ uh, community, which, um, you know, DeSantis has been accused of, as, as you mentioned, Antonio, with the, the so-called don't say gay bill. Well, while Zach, DeSantis- Zach, I've, got to, I've got to make one point when you say uh, that accusations of double standards by the DeSantis administration, <laughs> something tells me that may not be new anymore. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, they thrive on double standards, it seems like. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's a pretty uh, common uh, accusation against uh, the governor uh, at this point. But uh, it is one thing that, uh, you know, really, uh, you know, the, the LGBTQ angle of this there, uh, has, has really, um, you know, it, it seems like this is something that is increasingly getting thrown at the governor where he's um, being accused of, of really targeting um, this community. So, um, you know, I think that uh, his critics are, are concerned that there is some some prejudice here against uh, LGBTQ individuals and some bias here. Um, and it's something that they continue to hammer him on. Well, while uh, the governor cracks down on drag shows, the state's home insurance industry is poised for a major meltdown. It might seem like the industry's problems can't get any worse as carriers go insolvent and others drop policies and jack up rates. But there was news this week that 17 insurers might get a ratings downgrade, which could make their policies essentially uh, worthless. State insurance regulators rushed to bolster these companies this week with a plan they called unprecedented and extraordinary it would provide reinsurance coverage to downgraded insurers through state-run citizens' property insurance, uh, a company that lawmakers have worked to depopulate and have said that is you know, akin to uh, an anti-competitive uh, you know, socialist insurance system, and now they're using it as a backstop for private insurers. John, this issue is really exploding just as the election season gets into full swing. How do you think it could uh, impact uh, uh, the, the races here? Well, it's, it's certainly a big pocketbook issue. And uh, homeowners insurance in Florida is considered you know, three times as costly as the national average. That's according to the Insurance Information Institute. And 400,000 people have lost coverage here since January. So while Governor DeSantis is out there campaigning on how great the state's economy is doing and blaming President Joe Biden for high inflation and uh, a looming potential recession, you kind of wonder if voters are going to stop and think and wonder who they can blame for the state's runaway homeowners insurance market. Like like with all these things, you know, the state or nation's political leader may not be the prime villain, but there are market conditions, obviously, that, that drive a lot of these developments. But how leaders handle them and try to steer through them, uh, that, that does count. And so far for DeSantis, property insurance is a problem. Uh, you got to wonder, though, is it a big enough problem to cost him re-election? Well, maybe not yet, but Democrat 
Charlie Crist, who may well be his opponent in November, uh, depending on how Crist's primary contest with Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed turns out. Well, Crist, for some Floridians, is still remembered as an aggressive fighter with insurance companies and public utilities. He had a, a real political sense for what he used to call the people. Uh, you know, he I, I can still remember Charlie Crist would preface his sentences to me with something like, the people, John. Uh, you know, as the always personable Crist used to tell us reporters covering him that when he was the state's Republican governor in 2007 to 2011, the people were the thing that he kept, uh, you know, citing as his uh, motivation. Now, of course, Crist had a roller coaster relationship with uh, homeowners insurance. Um, he, he took office leading into the housing crash of 2008. And in those pre-crash times, rising property taxes, that was the culprit. And uh, that, that was caused by skyrocketing housing values that quickly plummeted just as fast as they'd risen. But, but he also dealt with insurance rates that were also climbing then. And uh, in a 2007 special session, Chris made it harder for insurers to raise rates and expanded citizens' property insurance. That's the state's backed, uh, state-backed insurer of last resort for many Floridians. Uh, that became a competitor to the private market. Uh, again, that was a uh, policy move by Chris to try to bring rates down. And uh, that approach worked for a little while, but rates later floated up and uh, citizens became a problem. And then when Governor Rick Scott was elected, he basically undid the Crist approach and set Florida pretty much on the course it's on today, where private companies are often underfinanced and not really interested in serving Florida because it's uh, such a high risk state. And uh, so the only way they stay here is if they can charge exorbitant rates. Now, DeSantis, of course, in May called a special session with the uh, Republican-led legislature and it, and got him to do what he wanted. And that was basically give the industry the kind of lawsuit relief it wanted, broader reinsurance coverage, which as we're finding now, as uh, Zach mentioned in his intro, isn't enough apparently, and uh, put customers on the hook for more deductible costs if they needed to get a roof repaired. Um, basically, there wasn't much for the consumer. And as the insurance market continues to stagger with more companies dropping policies in the state, that indeed, that could be a problem for DeSantis. Now, Chris's history as a politician is that he always sees his big policy issues through to, to completion. I mean, he does not successfully get a lot of these things across the finish line. That has often dogged him. His climate change efforts were prescient back in the mid-2000s, but then the legislature wouldn't go along with him. His idea of buying out the sugar industry was a landmark moment that, well, never happened and still has us dealing with Lake Okeechobee and Everglades water problems. But Chris, if he becomes the Democratic nominee, he knows how to exploit an issue. And he has a familiarity to Floridians as a friend of the consumer. So, you know, will property insurance frustration be enough to oust Ron DeSantis? Uh, I'm not ready to say it will, but it could make the governor's race more competitive than many of us watching it think it's going to be. And 
I wonder also in the Democratic primary, John, I mean, there's a pretty stark difference between Christ and Nikki Freed. Now, Christ has really sort of set himself up as sort of this consumer friendly and, and pointed to um, his time as governor where he made it harder to raise um, property insurance rates. And, and um, you know, critics of that approach said that it hurt the industry, basically that it made them more finan financially weaker and that it drove some large companies out of the state, basically, or, or they really pulled back on the amount of policies that they wrote because uh, they couldn't get the rates that they wanted. And that caused citizens, the state-run insurance companies, to balloon. That's really been the criticism from the industry, from these property insurance companies. And it's something that Republicans have also echoed. And it's something that Nikki Fried is echoing. I mean, she's basically accused Chris of, of tanking the property insurance industry. I mean, this is kind of a complicated issue. And it sort of yeah. seems like uh, people can message it uh, either way, I mean, there's there's a, a lot of room for persuasion here as to how compelling your argument is. But, um, you know, what do you think? I mean, it, it, could this also impact the Democratic primary? And what do you make of Nikki Fried? She seems to be kind of taking um, the same line as the insurance companies and, and Republicans on this one. Yeah, she has not really, you know, stepped out very far on this. Uh, she she wants to kind of call, you know, create a task force uh, that's going to examine this issue, which, you know, that sounds a little long term, but uh, she doesn't seem to have any really, you know, fresh ideas on property insurance to come out in initially. Her issue, obviously, uh, with the, uh, the the United States Supreme Court's decision in uh, the Dobbs case out of Mississippi overturning Roe versus Wade is abortion rights. And that is where she describes herself as the biggest champion of that. So, you know, each of the Democrats has found a little bit of a niche to run on here uh, against DeSantis going forward. But, yeah, as you point out, they're also running against each other. So, uh, you know, at this juncture, what are Democratic primary voters going to believe? Are they more concerned about property insurance than they want Charlie Chris to be their savior? Or are they concerned that uh, DeSantis in term two is going to overturn abortion in Florida? And that's why uh, Nikki Freed is their candidate. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of uh, moving parts right now, a little bit of a three-dimensional chess game going on uh, when it comes to uh, both Democratic primary and general election and a couple of crises facing the state of Florida. Yeah, it will be real fascinating to see what this rating agency does, the Demotech. It could be sort of an October surprise here if you have all these property insurance companies that get downgraded and the market is really uh, in turmoil. Well, while DeSantis hasn't mentioned uh, the property insurance crisis in a series of speeches he gave in recent days, he has instead been focused on touting his COVID policies and culture war battles, including during a speech on Saturday night in Hollywood at the Florida uh, GOP's big uh, election year convention. Former President Donald Trump also spoke in Florida on Saturday night, bashing the January 6th committee and hinting that he'll run again for president in front of a uh, crowd in Tampa. Trump didn't mention DeSantis, and DeSantis did not mention Trump as the rivalry between these two men grows. Antonio, is Florida big enough to handle the political ambitions of these two GOP heavyweights? Well, guys, you know, as at the moment, as we sit here in late July, the answer is yes. Look, I mean, Zach, you just saw that not only that not only is Florida big enough, the city of Tampa was big enough for both of them last weekend at that Turning Point USA conference that you covered. But come this fall, that's likely to change. That's when it's possible that Trump will announce his White House comeback campaign. At that moment, then, yeah, Florida may not be big enough for the two of them. Or better said, it will be time for Florida Republicans to make a choice. Are they on Team Trump or are they going to be on Team DeSantis? 
And for a certain number of GOPers in the state, it's going to be a, dif a difficult call, uh, judging by what we heard at the uh, Sunshine Summit on Friday night and Saturday last week here in Hollywood. Now, U.S. Senator Ted Cruz of Texas just said that once Trump announces, it will clear the field. And I'm not so certain of that, however. Uh, you know, Trump has reshaped the Republican Party. It has been, particularly in Florida, where it's been the Trump Party for the past six years. And it is unlikely that Trumpist politics will wane in the GOP anytime soon. But as we have been hearing for a year, Florida Republicans are really smitten with Ron DeSantis and his free Florida politics. And at last week in Sunshine Summit, a lot of them made clear they think DeSantis, not Trump, is the future of the party. The question is, is that future in 2024 or 2028? Yeah. And, you know, at the Trump event, though, I mean, man, the, the most popular uh, merchandise there was these ultra MAGA uh, hats. I mean, the, the party has really embraced um, the, the uh, Joe Biden's criticism of, uh, you know, ultra MAGA agenda. Um, you know, there there was some some DeSantis gear in the crowd. I saw people wearing hats and shirts. And I, I spoke to a vendor um, who was selling, uh, you know, this political merchandise. And he said, yeah, the DeSantis stuff sells, but not like Trump stuff. You know, it's still uh, he still is really, um, you know, the energizing factor for a lot of people um, in the party. So it was fascinating to see. I, I talked to, uh, you know, a number of young people at this event. It was a student action summit put on by Turning Point USA, which is sort of a, a, a conservative youth group. And, um, you know, every single person that I talked to, and it was it was a handful, but, um, you know, so it's not like a completely representative sample, but, um, you know, th they all said that they thought Trump should run again and that they thought that he was, um, you know, a uh, a strong, the strongest candidate for the GOP going in, which which I thought was interesting. I thought, you know, um, you know, young people might gravitate more to DeSantis, but Trump is still the big name. I'm not sure. I mean, even though DeSantis is getting a lot more attention um, nationally, I wonder if a lot of that, you know, the Fox News viewership, the older voters are paying more attention to him. Younger voters might, you know, know Trump better. So it's it was fascinating to see. But um, I know uh, Stephanie, uh, who you work with at the Palm Beach Post, we had her at the the Sunshine Summit. And she talked to some people there who were very uh, loyal to uh, DeSantis. I think a lot of people didn't really want to weigh in on Trump versus DeSantis. They don't want to have to pick a side at this point, And they don't. I mean, at this point, DeSantis is running for governor. Trump is, uh, you know, hinting that he'll run for president. They don't have to be on a collision course at this point. And Trump just said in an interview that he would vote for he's going to vote for DeSantis as governor. They've both sort of played down this rivalry. But um, as you said, as we get uh, towards the end of the year here, uh, it, it, they will potentially people will potentially have to pick sides uh, when it becomes uh, more about the presidential race in 2024. Yeah, <clears throat> interesting. I had a conversation with Mike Binder, the UNF, uh, University of North Florida pollster and political science professor. He made some, some interesting comments. And one of them is that, that you know, following the two of them, DeSantis and Trump, you know, Trump is, wins over in, in charisma. Um, he really does connect with his base and with that wing of the Republican Party and generally Republicans in general. And, you know, Binder said, look, in a, in a high profile, scrutinized national campaign, it's not clear that DeSantis would be able to do that the way that Trump does. And the other thing is, he said, look, stamina. I mean, it takes a lot to carry on a 
a political campaign of that magnitude. And, you know, Trump has done it twice and we don't know that about DeSantis either. So, uh, although you know, DeSantis look, does keep a pretty busy schedule. I he, mean, does. He, he does. He had a press conference yesterday. He gave speeches. He gave a speech on Friday and Saturday, did the GOP event, uh, in, in Hollywood on Saturday. Uh, I, 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 I think that he's got the, the stamina for it, but the question is, is can he hold up under the pressure, the national pressure exactly, right. that, like Trump you has? Know. Yeah. <clears throat> so, uh, so that it, you know, you can't, you know, it'd be very, I, I think we'd all be careful to, to write off Trump, and I don't think any of us have done that. But uh, I would just caution our readers: Trump is is quite the, a formidable force in politics, whether regardless of what how what you think of him. Yeah, for sure. Well, we'll move on to some uh, numbers here. Uh, John, you want to tell us about yours? Yeah, Zach, uh, I came in with a nine, and uh, I'll, I'll set the table a little bit that you know the the U.S. Capitol is getting a lot of attention with tales from the. January 6th committee in Congress, but the Capitol Statuary Hall got a welcome new guest this week, uh, or I should say this month. Uh, That that was the addition of a statue of black civil rights icon and uh, educator Mary McLeod Bethune. Uh, She's installed there to represent Florida and takes the place of the statue of former Confederate General Edmund Kirby Smith, which was uh, removed last year. But nine, uh, my number, is how many of how many Confederates remain in the Statuary Hall collection? Uh, they represent several of the states of the old Confederacy. Uh, each state has two statues representing historic figures that call it home uh, or did something notable there. Mississippi, for example, still has two Confederates standing in Statuary Hall, including the former president of the breakaway rebel nation, uh, Jefferson Davis. Uh, Florida's other statue, by the way, is for John Gorey, a doctor who is credited with being a 19th century uh, developer of air conditioning. But the um, Southern Poverty Law Center has taken note of the lingering Confederates in the hall, and they uh, they praise the addition of the Bethune statue. Um, but they're urging states and Congress to act to get rid of the remaining monuments there, saying that the statues of men who are forever linked to racial terror and oppression that that sends the wrong message to both American and global visitors alike. Uh, it, you know, it also may be especially chilling that these statues remain after the January 6th committee, where uh, you're hearing testimony that underscores the role of those bigoted hate groups like Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys in Trump's attempt to block the certifying of Biden's election in 2020. So, so there you go. You know, for all the changes, you still have nine Confederates uh, gracing the statuary hall in uh, the Capitol. And pretty amazing that uh, the Civil War and the Confederacy is still relevant to our current politics more than 150 years later. Antonio, want to tell us about your number? Yeah, 235,261 is the number of people between January 1st and May 31st of this year who have, across the state of Florida, have exchanged out-of-state driver's license for Florida ones. That's a 30% increase for the same five-month period last year and over a seven-year average from 2016 to 2022. The top exchanges, meaning the the top states from people were coming from, uh, were New York, 26,151, New Jersey, 12,907, and California, 11,972, which we heard about back earlier this month when uh, California Governor Gavin Newsom took a shot 
at the uh, free state of Florida and Governor DeSantis in that July 4th ad. Now, all of this is on top of the 547,000 people who came to Florida and exchanged driver's license from other states for Sunshine State ones last year. That's a 40% increase from 2020 and near 20% greater than the five-year average between 2017 and 2021. And I got to thank our Cracker Jack real estate reporter, Kimberly Miller, for coming up with these numbers. What this all means is that this is uh, hard numbers showing what we have seen in the state of Florida and what the governor has been speaking about is all these people moving, this great migration to Florida since the pandemic and actually going back to 2017, since they changed the tax law, they no longer allowed people in high tax state income tax states to basically be able to deduct those taxes from their federal taxes. It, that began this, this flow of people to states like Florida that have no state income tax. And this great migration to Florida has had a seismic impact on the everyday lives of people living here. It's a reason, although not the only one, that our housing markets have exploded with rents among the highest in the nation and housing prices breaking records. I, I think we can also surmise that it has altered our politics, flipping Florida from what used to be a purple state to a solid red state. I think it's not, it's not out of the stretch of the imagination that a lot of the folks moving here in the last few years are are Republicans from other states coming down here to live in the free state of Florida. And it's also changed our economy with popular out-of-state brands from Wawa to Culver's expanding at a brisk pace in the southwest of part of the state and here in southeast Florida too. And it, so it has changed our, our, the state in many ways. But now the question is, how lasting will it be? You know, you may remember Uber billionaire Elon Musk says he wants his employees back in the offices. Other companies are saying the same and, and reporting and a report out this week suggests that this return to office movement in other states will result a slowdown in the pace of rental rates in Florida because people who figure they might move to Florida and work remotely are going to may realize they can't do that. My guess, though, is the bulk of the change that we've seen here, particularly pol politically, is here to stay, as are the vast majority of people who have moved here. Th this whole thing about uh, people moving to Florida because, of, you know, this the census's policies, I mean, that's been a big talk talking point of the governor. And it's interesting to see that there are some some real numbers uh, behind that, uh, you know, despite Gavin Newsom, uh, uh, you know, uh, running ads in this state, uh, you know, trying to uh, tout um, the benefits of California over Florida. It does seem like uh, people are voting with their feet uh, and uh, a lot of people are moving to this state. I'll just add one other anecdotal a uh, piece of evidence to that. Um, I was reading uh, a story uh, on the front page of our own, my, my own paper here in Sarasota today about um, a house that sold for the highest price ever in Sarasota uh, County for $17.5 And the guy who bought that house uh, gave us an interview. Uh, our, our, our great real estate reporter uh, got an interview with him. And he said that he was moving from the Seattle suburbs uh, because of his values. He thought Florida aligned more with his values. He, he didn't explicitly say it, but it sounded like he was pretty conservative uh, and he was complaining about 
uh, crime and uh, homelessness and other issues uh, in the Seattle suburbs. So, um, you know, when he says this state aligns more with his values, you have to think that he's been listening to what uh, DeSantis has been uh, talking about. Um, And so there's just another a little um, bit of evidence of uh, people who seem to have a conservative bent um, moving to this uh, state. Well, well what I'm looking for, too, is uh, the the second version of that story, which is harder to track. But I'd like to see a number on the number of Floridians that are leaving Florida. Yeah. That is, no, I mean, that, that, that is interestingly, John, number. interestingly, John, we check with California records and they don't keep such numbers. Interestingly. Yeah. But that is a good that is a good that is a, a an interesting story too i mean are are people with liberal views leaving the state because they they don't like the way desantis is taking it i mean uh, i'm sure I'm, he, he would probably say good riddance um but uh there's also questions about uh the the affordability of the state i mean florida yeah. has traditionally been uh, a more affordable for retirees but maybe some of them are moving to places like Alabama or, or Mississippi because the state's getting um, unaffordable. Perhaps, but I think you know the other question too, when particularly in the Northeast and the Midwest, is what do you uh, dislike mostly if you're a liberal, the, the politics here or the snow up there? Yeah, well, the weather is a pretty big draw. So, um, yeah. Well, anyway, uh, my number is 0.9, as in the U.S. economy shrank by 0.9% annualized rate in the second quarter. That's a big deal because it's the second straight quarter of shrinking gross domestic product, which is a classic indicator that the country is in a recession. This is an unusual economy, and President Joe Biden and his supporters have been arguing that the sliding GDP doesn't mean we've entered a recession because the job market is still strong. But Republicans are sure to hammer on that GDP number and declare a Biden recession. DeSantis has been warning for months that Biden's economic policies are driving the country into the recession. And I would assume that he's going to be pouncing on this uh, any minute now. Florida Democrats already were facing a terrible political climate, and the GDP decline will only add to their woes. Campaigning during a recession when you're the party that holds the presidency is a tough task, and trying to explain why this might not actually be a recession is not a good position to be in. That wraps up another episode of Inside Florida Politics. I want to thank our audio production guru, Thomas Cordy, and thanks to all of you for listening. We're out of here.